Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome Columbia recording artist, Bob Dylan. Hello, and welcome back to Never Ending Stories, a podcast about Bob Dylan and the Never Ending Tour. I'm Ian. I'm Evan. And I'm Steve. And today's show is December 11th, 1995, at the beautiful Beacon Theater in New York City, New York. The band is Bob Dylan on the guitar and the harp, Bucky Baxter on the pedal steel, the electric slide guitar, John J.J. Jackson on the guitar, Winston Watson on the drums, round of applause, please, and Tony Garnier on the bass. Uh, do you have the weather for us, Evan? Oh, shit. <laughs> I have the weather. It's in the outline. <laughs> okay. Well, it's the se- this is a segment called How's the Weather? Or uh, did we decide it was called Don't Need a Weatherman? Don't need a weatherman. And apparently we don't have one. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, it was a high of 26. It was a low of 18. No precipitation. A frosty, chilly ooh. December day in New York City, 1995. Yeah, I was going to say 26 in uh, December, New York. Two weeks before Christmas. Not too bad. That's pretty classic New York Take kind of weather. It. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering, this segment... Is this related to like David Lynch? How David Lynch does like the weather reports? Is it at all inspired by that? Because if it is, uh, can we do like no. a David Lynch accent when you do it? You know, like no, I, I, I think that David Lynch is inspired by the great weathermen and women of our nation. So really, it's it's them who should be the ones getting the credit. You know, David Lynch is following in the footsteps of a great tradition of knowing what the weather is in this country. Well, the thing about David Lynch's weather stuff, though, is he's always broadcasting from his little studio there in Los Angeles. So he's, you know, he's kind of, the, the weather one day is probably pretty related to the weather the previous day. He always kind of knows what it's going to feel like. Bob is jumping all around the country, all around the world. So he could be entering very different kind of weather Climes. zones and climates at any given time. And that could, you know, that could have an impact on the kind of show that you end up getting. You were ta- We were talking about this uh, earlier, Stephen. You mentioned... Uh, uh, earlier in this 95 tour, the first show of the year, actually, Bob was in Prague and it was apparently a legendary show because he had the fucking flu and he refused to play guitar. Yeah, he didn't play guitar. Winston Watson was also really sick. There, He did an interview with uh, the great Ray Paget on his blog, flagging down the double E's and Winston Watson tells a story about how they were going to play on March 10th, the first show of 95, and everyone was sick as a dog. Apparently, Winston Watson took a shower 
and like passed out in the shower because he was so sick. Uh, but then the next day, everyone felt a little bit better, and then they played March 11th, and it is considered to be one of the greatest shows of the Never Ending Tour. Both the Alpha and Omega of Dylanologists, <laughs> uh, Paul John the Baptist Williams, and Clinton. The Dark Prince Halen have called it like their favorite show of the Never Ending Tour. So wow. that's incredible. We got to cover that at some point. Yeah, you can see video online where yeah Bob's not playing guitar. He's doing like shadow boxing and like <laughs> hand motions and stuff while he's singing and uh, just playing mind blowing harmonica solos like 1966 tour style harmonica solos on like Mr. Tambourine Man and uh, Shelter from Gee. the Storm. So we're that's gonna, we're like, gonna have to do that show then, right? Yeah, that shows that no shows question. sick. That's like the beginning of '95. This is the end of '95. Here we are uh, at the end of '95. Well, to answer a, your question, I mean the weather thing. It's like uh, you know, it's relevant. I actually kind of got it from you, Stephen, because I think on uh, on Thirty Six from the Vault, you would remark on the weather, and I always thought like, well, good to know. Like, what if it's really extreme? You know, that tells you. We don't get that much information about what it was really like in the room or the vibe of that day. But, you know, the weather, that says a lot. It means that everybody in, in the Beacon was kind of a, a kind of cozy during this show as opposed to being sweaty. That's true. And I should also say shout out to Rob Mitchum, my co-host on 36 from the Vault, because he was the weather guy. He actually said to me, do you guys talk about the weather because I did on Thirty Six from the Vault? Wow! So, so he'll now have right. confirmation. It was his, yeah. He inspired. It was me. Rob. So Rob, you could tip your cap out there. I know you're listening right now. Um, <laughs> I appreciate Bob playing a cold weather city in the winter because there are artists who will not come to the cold parts of the country in December, January, and February. Like the tour schedule does dry up here a bit. You know, here I'm I'm in Minnesota. Uh so but Bob, he's from the North Country. He could he can brave the twenty six degree weather with a low of eighteen. It's not a big deal to him. Uh but yeah that's we appreciate that here in the cold weather sections of America, people like Bob will still come here even when it's ass cold. I've never even, like that, as someone who has lived in California virtually my entire life, except for a brief New York sojourn, that the concept of weather influencing people's tour schedules has literally never once even crossed my mind. Uh, but now that you mention it, it makes complete sense. For New York, I don't think it has an impact because it's New York City. But, you know, right. for, for like, you know, Minneapolis, I think it makes a difference sometimes. But, you know, I'm glad that I, in the real America here, right. can, can, can <laughs> school the coastal elites on this show, uh, what it's like to live uh, in, in the heartland. Where the real Americans, the real yeah. rock and roll heart of this country is. The amber waves of grain and... Purple Mountain's majesty and so on. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, this show... As we said, December 11th, 1995, this is my first pick on the show. We've, we've made it through the whole rotation once now. Uh, and so I get to bring it up with uh, a choice of mine here. And, uh, well, I'll, I, I'll deliver some intro comments here momentarily. But do either of you have any, any initial reactions or, or big picture thoughts before I spiel off? The main takeaway I got from this was just the way that the band sounds is um, they sound pretty, they sound kind of cool. Like, uh, for lack of a better word, yeah. it's kind of like, um, 
it sounds very contemporary and uh you know there's really a lack of like classic americana like tin pan alley bot there's none of that it doesn't really sound um kind of anachronistic it feels just like uh, a band in 1995 playing music uh, for the most part mm. which is um that's that's sort of my main uh takeaway here is that it feels kind of hip yeah i mean it's interesting with this uh this run of shows that he did at the end of 95 because this was like a really active year for Bob. He played 115 shows, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I think is one of the busier years of the never ending tour era. And I was doing a little reading in my Bob Dylan library. There's a book by uh, Andrew Murr called one more night where he talks about every year, the never ending tour. And he was actually shitting on, this part of the tour a little bit in his book talking about how he felt it was better at the beginning of the year. And again, we already talked about that Prague show, which is a legendary show. Um, and if he's saying that, I feel like that's gotta be like a relative comment because right. I thought this show was phenomenal. I, I, I really loved it. So, uh, I, you know, I, I'm curious to dig more into 95. This is a year, again, going back to the Dark Prince. He said 95 is his favorite year of the Never Ending Tour. Wow, a rare good take from our old buddy Clinton. And it is a year where, you know, he's, if you didn't know anything about Bob at this time, you were just looking at his discography, you wouldn't necessarily think 95 would be a great year because Time Out of Mind is still a few years away. Uh, he hasn't put out an original album in several years. Um, but I think we'll get into this. It really was a time where, uh, it felt like he was really exploring the catalog. Totally. Good jamming out going on. Um, the harmonica playing, I'm not going to go too crazy about it right now, but holy shit. Mm. That is such a highlight of this year or you know, the shows that I've heard from 95. So I'm curious, I want to hear, why did you pick this show? Because again, 95 is a well-regarded year, but there's other... A lot of other 95 shows that people would have picked. And we'll get to some of those other 95 shows, I'm sure, at some point. But why was this the first 95 that you wanted to do? Well, I mean, I've always been aware of it. I know, to shout him out again, I think he's gotten a shout out uh, on every show we've done so far and already once here. But I'll drop Ray's uh, uh, flagging down the double E's once again. I remember reading about this on that. Um, uh, I forget if it was this show in particular, but he, he wrote about Bob and Patty Smith, who opened for Bob on this tour. This is the Paradise Lost tour or it should be noted, here at the end of 95, uh, doing these incredible duets on Dark Eyes, which are the only time he, he played, uh, Bob played, this is a 10-run tour, 10-day tour from December 7th to December 17th, uh, Northeast only, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and New York. Um, and these are the only performances of Dark Eyes ever, except for once in like 86, I think he did it on the Petty Tour one time. Um, and then brought it back. He played it, you know, almost every night of this Paradise Lost tour uh, with Patty, uh, and then has put it away, and it hasn't been touched again ever since. And so any time that I am aware of, like, a super unique, like, moment of complete transcendence uh, that makes any individual show, or in this case, you know, a smaller run of shows, stand apart from virtually everything else in the entire discography, um, that's what I'm going to be kind of naturally drawn towards. Uh, and so this, the fact that he does Dark Eyes here and has this legendary kind of performance with Patty, uh, it was my intro into it, uh, or what kind of hooked me initially. 
But listening to the show on top of that, because I did listen to a couple other 95 shows or shows from this Paradise Lost tour as well. And I'm going to try to write about that again um, uh, on the next uh, issue of the newsletter because there are just fucking incredible set lists every night. Uh, a couple other songs that he plays. Crash on the Levee, obviously Five Believers, I Want You, Simple Twist of Fate, Tangled Up in Blue, God Knows, I and I, Tonight I'll Be Staying Here With You, Positively Fourth Street, Ramona, Lenny Bruce, Seeing the Real You at Last, Desolation Row, Joey, Man in the Long Black Coat, Every Grain of Sand, Under the Red Sky, It's All Over Now Baby Blue, Shelter from the Storm, Forever Young, and West LA Fade Away. Um, that's just a, a sampling wow. of some of the songs that he played uh, in this this 10-day tour. Um, and none of those are included in this show tonight. But this one is just, it kind of hits everything that I'm looking for from a never-ending tour show at this moment in time. I think we do have to focus on the dark eyes in this uh, in this gig. And, and, the, and the dark eyes just from this tour that Bob played uh, here in uh, late 95. Because that is, I think the initial attraction I think for people to this tour that this is one of the only times that he ever played it like like you said he played it in 86 with Petty and that was um a train wrecky performance <laughs> and here he is singing a duet with uh with Patty Smith and I was reading a little bit about, about Dark Eyes you know because this is a song that uh is if you love Bob Dylan, you know this song, but it's not a very famous song. It's on Empire Burlesque. Not final track. Final track. And he writes about this song in Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how the producer of Empire Burlesque, Arthur Baker, suggested that he write an acoustic song as the last track. I'm sure he was thinking of songs like Desolation Row, you know, classic Dylan you know, or it's all over now, baby blue, you know, classic acoustic closers to Dylan records. And, uh, Bob didn't have a song in mind. So he tells a story about how he goes back to his hotel. He was staying at the Plaza in New York. And he says that he saw a sex worker walking down the hallway. And that, uh, let me, let me just read what he writes. She had blue circles around her eyes, black eyeliner, dark eyes. She looked like she had been beaten up and was afraid that she could beat up again. In her hand, crimson purple wine in a glass. I'm just dying for a drink, she said as she passed me in the hall. She had a beautifulness, but not of this kind of world. Poor wretch, doomed to walk this hallway for a thousand years. Mm. And then he says, he went to his room and he wrote dark eyes while looking at Central Park. Uh, from his hotel window. I don't believe a word of this story. <laughs> I, th- th- I don't think this actually happened. He's staying at this like expensive hotel and he sees this down and out woman just wandering around with a glass of wine. I just don't feel like that happened. <laughs> but I love what he wrote anyway. Yeah, it's one of the most amazing. That that one sentence, she had a beautifulness, but not, but not for, this for this kind this of kind world, of world, is no. like the one, like, that is the single line from all of Chronicles that has just stuck with me, you know, uh, ever since I read it. It's it's maybe the most beautiful moment in the entire book. Uh, and yes, in all, in all likelihood, complete bullshit, uh, but it's a beautiful way to, uh, you know, spiritually uh, give the song some sort of uh, origin story, even if it didn't factually happen just like that. Um, we also were talking a little bit just context wise before the show. Uh, so this 95 run with Patty, right? The Paradise Lost tour, uh, she, this was kind of her return, like 
to playing shows, playing live music after a little while away. And we just discovered, uh, before we recorded today, I was buzzing through the uh, New York Times review of the show from 1995, published just a couple days after. Tom Verlaine, rest in peace, was in her band playing guitar with her this night, opening for Bob. And they even covered, the Patty band, uh, uh, even covered Not Fade Away, one of the most famous dead covers of all time, uh, because Jerry had just passed a few months before this. Um, and I think, and we'll get to this, you know, when we get to the Bob stuff as well, but it seems like his presence is very much in in the room this night. Um, Patty dedicated that cover to Jerry. Um, and, uh, and there are a couple moments along those lines in the Bob set as well. So I think that, in addition, is a really powerful kind of presence throughout. Can we put out a call to listeners? If you have a recording of Patty's set, we would love to hear it. We mm-hmm. actually tried to find it, and uh, we were unsuccessful. Just circle back to the Jerry Garcia conversation for a minute. Yes, yeah, please. Because I, I think that's interesting. And, you know, they do play, Bob does play a, a, a dead song in this set, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, and we all have time out of mind on the brain mm. because of the recent box set fragments that was released and i was thinking a a bit about that listening to this show because when we talk about the development of 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 time out of mind a lot of people look at the death of jerry garcia as being like the genesis moment that that was what got bob thinking about the mortality issues and uh and how it was in a way it sparked a fire in him to start writing songs again, even though he really didn't even want to write songs. It was something, you know, he was being stalked by inspiration. And uh, I don't know, I always wonder, like, was he already having the germs of those songs in his head when he was playing these shows? You know, was was he already writing down lines on hotel stationery? You know, when we look at the timeline, it would suggest that he probably was, or at least... He was. It was around that time of these shows that that was happening. So that that's always fascinating sure. to me. To just wonder, like, oh, when we when we think about how inspired he was on stage, and just how that translates to his songwriting down the road. Yeah, I totally. really didn't put that together yet ever about Jerry's death being a catalyst for uh, time out of mind. I guess that seems obvious, but it. I, I don't know. Uh, that that never occurred to me. See, I'm yeah, that- also just like. Uh, Seeing uh, uh, things for a uh, new. Here we go. Seeing the real you at last, if you will. There you if, go. If, if I may make a pun. <laughs> Thank you. Another another interesting contextual thing for me is just looking at the Beacon Theater this month, and how uh, between the two Dylan shows that took place at that venue, there mm-hmm. were a couple of Bruce Springsteen shows. Oh, really? I, yeah. When he was on, it would have been the Ghost of Tom Joad uh, tour. Uh, there was another thing that. Apparently, an extra Bob show was added because Michael Jackson was scheduled to perform at the Beacon for this HBO special, and his show was canceled. So Bob ended up taking MJ's place. Interesting. And I think that might be this show, because the tour had a weird kind of uh, like travel schedule, because he played here on the 11th, played the Beacon on the 11th, and then went to Pennsylvania for like two or three nights and then came back to the Beacon on the 14th. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think this show was added because Michael Jackson, who, you know, had already had his first scandal 
with you know child molestation charges. He comes out of that. He puts out his album History in '95, and it's a weird thing. Like where and this is actually still happening with Michael Jackson, where people are like, "Well, let's forget that there have been accusations against him." He's uncancelable. Is there, he he's no. the one man who's completely decisively beaten it like we've been making our wedding playlist recently and it's like we've got stuff from off the wall on there and just like everyone's gonna know you know when they're on the dance floor what what's going on but like it's absolutely undeniable <laughs> but you have all these superstars all these superstars co-mingling here icons springsteen dylan michael jackson patty smith Tom Verlaine. Tom, Tom Verlaine. Verlaine. Tom Verlaine just being a backup musician. That shows like how many luminaries are in the vicinity of this show. It's a pretty fascinating time. And then you have the ghost of Jerry Garcia looming over everything. Presiding over it all, indeed. It's a really, uh, I think, just a really special kind of moment in history, moment in time. And that's why it makes such a great thing for us to talk about, which on that note, should we talk about it? Yeah, let's yes. dive in. All right. All right, pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. For Bob Dylan at the Beacon Theater on December 11th, 1995. Anyone got anything? Well, yeah, I mean, this show is stacked. <laughs> this is going to be another it's all instance. Good stuff. This is going to be another instance when we get to the Oh Mercy segment that I'm going to have to stretch and maybe make a devil's advocate argument. Of course. And again, we're going to get to some bad shows. We got to get to some bad shows mm-hmm. to clear the palate because we're just, we're, we're, we're eating like veal and, you know, steak tartare and uh, <laughs> caviar every show. We got to eat some, uh, uh, you know, White Castle burgers or something at some point. But um, I think we have to start with the Dark Eyes because it is a, again, such a unique song to show up in a Dylan set. And yes. I'm curious to hear what you guys think of it. I, I mean, I love it. And it's interesting how it's essentially Patty singing lead mm-hmm. and Bob coming in to sing backup. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because this is a song that I think has been performed more by other people than by Bob himself. Like, it's been covered a bunch. If you go on setlist.com, the performance is on there. It's usually like by other people. It's not mm. really by Bob. Um but I don't know. I felt like that lived up to the hype. It's not just that this is a rare song and it's Patti Smith and Bob Dylan together. I, I, that is a highlight that lived up to the billing. Thank you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it uh, it is what made me fall in love with this kind of show and this run in general in the first place, and it is what I'm still in love with here today. Interestingly, I think for a while, you know, just in the midst of all of the endless listening to Bomb that we've done over the last couple of years, I like found myself being kind of down on Dark Eyes for some reason and thinking that like it had some it was sort of overappreciated or it had like an over uh, representation because of how it sounds on Empire Burlesque compared to everything else on that record and thinking like is this song really that good or is it just something that sounds like old Bob Dylan in the midst of a sea of shit that doesn't sound anything like that? But listening to it here in this context with this performance where it's just, it's Bob on the acoustic and I think it's Bucky on a slide guitar, um, which is a beautiful kind of gentle country tone to it. Um, it's like, no, it, it really is that fucking good. Uh, and, um, you know, it uh, you really can't beat it here. I don't like this version half as much as the record version. Um, wow not even close like i just don't like it as much i think the song on the record it is uh it was i don't feel like this song's improved by adding anything to it it's like um just an acoustic guitar on the album empire burlesque and i think it's a song that is great enough that any version of it within reason is going to be standout um i mean this is special especially if you happen to be a, a patty smith uh fan um that must be very nice for you to hear this um but it's not a highlight for me on this show wow despite i mean i love that it's included uh because that's great but um no it's like i just like it performed straight up neat no no rocks no chaser yeah i was gonna say that i like this version more than the record and that i was always a little cool on dark eyes on empire burlesque and this live version really brought it home for me as a well, great song well, i'm and glad it's... that that happened for you because uh, for both of you <laughs> that's exactly how i would hope this would work that like by pulling it out more people grow to appreciate the song but uh i'm going to be uh that guy and say that uh i always was pulling for dark guys i i was i was in, obsessed with it when we first started uh when we first talked about it on the pod low those many years ago and um no it's still great i mean this version is still really pretty it's just like something about that original version feels to me, it's really close to the best things on like "Good as I've Been to You" or "World Gone Wrong." It, it has some of that that intimate quality that I've come to really like revere. Do we want to mention that we're doing a bonus episode mm. of a concert? We're doing a, well. Okay, so do we want to say who it is? Because we picked a. We're going to do a bonus episode where uh, an artist Someone. that we all love performs this song we're going to talk about the entire show but uh the reason why we picked this show is that this artist that we love covered dark eyes and it was similar to like bob with this uh, paradise lost tour where this artist covered it several times in like about a week's time and then never again yeah so uh i'll say that that version that cover is more like true to the the kind of thing i really the version of the song that i tend to want to hear more yeah, I mean that cover 
in our bonus episode, and we're not going to say who it is. It's a mystery artist. Yeah. Um, Everyone out there will be happy. It, you know, I mean, I hate it when people say like, oh, I don't, I like people who cover Dylan songs more than the Dylan originals. That always makes me roll my eyes when I hear that. But <laughs> I will say that like hearing, you know, Patti Smith and this mystery artist sing Dark Eyes, it did bring a different level of appreciation for me. And it's not like I didn't like it before. I always liked it. But I think it's a song I probably overlooked a little bit. I didn't yeah. dwell on it as much as I should have. And in the past couple of weeks... I've had a lot of dark guys time and it's really brought a different level of appreciation of that song. Hearing these two great artists uh, interpret it. That's something that I've noticed with Bob Dylan specifically is um, sometimes when he's covered, especially covering, you know, songs that aren't just like ones, you know, off like the back of your hand, but something like Dark Eyes is a perfect example. It sometimes takes hearing it come from somebody, someone else for you to really clock the lyrics and really think about how well they work and and how beautifully they're put together because sometimes when you just hear Bob rattle off these phrases, it's like he does it so much that it it becomes kind of um, you might get a little numb to it. Uh, but when you hear Patti Smith sing this, I mean, she clearly is like singing it with a lot of feeling, as is the mystery artist. Um, I think this is a song that gets under the skin of other artists. And then when you hear them do it, it's like. Uh, reaffirming just how masterful uh, it is, as simple as it is. Yeah, I think there's something to that. And Ian, I think, also made a good point earlier that I'm going to piggyback on here, where I think when I heard it on Empire Burlesque, I it almost felt contrived. Like Yes, exactly. Like, I'm, like I'm going to do, really? like, you know, I've done this 80s pop sounding record, and now I'm going to give you classic Dylan at the end mm. and I think in that context it felt like all right it, it, I don't know it didn't feel organic and I'm saying now I've reconsidered that uh position because again you don't really hear many live versions of, of Dark Eyes you're used to hearing it in the context of that album so taking it out of Empire Burlesque and in this new setting I don't know, just presented it in a different way. and I, I wasn't thinking of it in relation to the other songs on that album. I was just looking at it 
as a standalone song on its and own. Yeah, that, exactly. And that, and that made me look at it differently. The record version, like, is is almost or can be interpreted, and even judging by what Bob says in Chronicles, which who knows if he, you know, we, we talked about that, and probably not being true down to the letter, but it is possible that he just did write the song at the insistence of Arthur Baker to include a little bit of that classic Bob Dylan sound on there. It only, you know, it can come off. It, it can sound if you're looking at it from the right way as a sop to the fans, you know, as, as you know, try, trying to please people and give them what they want after a whole record full of stuff that doesn't sound like that. And so it's easy to appreciate just on a very surface level because it sounds so different um, uh, based on uh, the context in which it occurs. Um, and yeah, and in this context where it does sound like all the other songs uh, on this set, this beautiful, cool sounding band, like you said, Evan, uh, in the middle of 1995, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this this proves that no, this song really has it. There is something to this thing um, that makes it really special um, uh, and uh, and and worth kind of revisiting in this kind of context. I also wonder, like, what, like, was this Bob's idea? And he presented it to Patty and said, "Patty, you come out and sing this song for me, and I'll back you up." Or did Patty decide, like, I want to do this, and like it just kind of worked out the two of them? It's just a really interesting kind of thing. My inkling would be that Patty wanted to sing it and then it, because it feels like uh, one that she it sounds like she really she's very like, well suited for the song. Yeah, I mean, there's no oh. question about that. And I believe like she'd already been it. I believe she'd already been playing it, too. So it, <laughs> on her own, has she? Yeah, I, I, I believe that's the case. So, yeah, I think there was some precedent for <laughs> For uh, for that to happen, and I just don't understand. One thing I want to push back on is like both of you seem to think like, oh, it's like a this was like a crowd pleaser, like sop at the end of Empire Burlesque. But I don't know. To me, it always felt special. Like it, it's a specific and pretty special song, even among Dylan songs with a gentle guitar, and that's it. Like he, it feels unique to me. Um, and I think that it is, in a subtle way, quite um, unique and stands apart. Because what it means for Dylan to do like a, a song, like an acoustic number like this in 1985, um, it's it ended up landing in this kind of very different place, a very different feel uh, that it, I, I don't think he's really spent much time in that spot since like he i think it's the last recorded piece of uh original acoustic only song it's the only song that's just him and acoustic guitar that's that's out there that's a good point yeah i mean i, I like i was saying i think i just didn't i think i just didn't give it the proper attention until the last two weeks, you know, yeah. I think there's so many great yeah. Bob Dylan songs. I just didn't focus on it until now. So like that, that was a great side. No one will blame you for show. being uh, exhausted by the end of Empire Burlesque a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so what else here? Cause we talked a lot about dark eyes. There's a lot of other highlights. I've got some, I know on my list. I'm curious, like what else jumped out at you? This the sandwich here of Mommy Been On My Mind, Dark Eyes, and Joker Man. I mean, Mommy Been On My Mind, I think, was a standout for me.
Yeah, that whole that whole acoustic run yeah, um, there Man. in the middle, Tambourine Man, really uh, Masters of War, Man. and Mama You've Been on My Mind. That like that is that is exactly what I'm mm-hmm. fucking all about because uh, it is just you know these classic you know catalog hits that you've heard a million times, Tambourine Man at least. Mama's you know kind of uh, on the lower end of that spectrum, and Masters of War is somewhere in between. Uh, but just the way that Bob is able to inhabit and interpret these you know older acoustic songs and I was thinking about this actually and I don't know if you guys feel the same way but for some like Masters of War you know uh, uh as a song you know just a piece of music that I want to hear I it's it's no it's no more satisfying to me than something like uh Highway 61 or Rainy Day Women or something um but for some reason when he does these older you know classic classics uh in these acoustic sets you know particularly in this run of stuff that stuff is always so much more satisfying, just hits me so much more intensely than the electric versions of the songs from that era. Um, for the most part, you know, there are exceptions here and there, but like this nine minute tambourine yeah, man, it's that's got great. just an insane harp solo and the same thing with mama, which isn't quite as long, but Bob is just off the map with the harp at the end of that. It's like, you know, and the crowd is eating it up. They're hooting and hollering. You can tell Bob is kind of feeding on their energy. It's just such a beautiful kind of touching moment of grace. helps the acoustic songs is how soft Bob is singing. Right. And that was the thing that I, I was really keen in on. He sounds so tender and soft and velvety almost on those acoustic songs. And it's a quality that you don't get if you're singing with a band. I mean, you naturally have to sing louder to be heard in that environment. You know, I have to say, and I, I brought this up in the previous episode that I always burn these shows on CDR. So I've got the disc one and the disc two. And the disc two, which starts with Mama, You've Been All My Mind, is the dominant disc of the show. The first disc is really great. But you mentioned that progression uh, early on in disc two, the Mama, You've Been On My Mind, uh, Dark Eyes, and then Joker Men. Uh, Highway 61 is scorching really great again another example of a song that you think you're tired of and then they do just a blistering version i have to say that the highlight of this disc and maybe the entire show for me is girl from the north country yeah um which is so beautiful for the reasons i was saying before his vocal i think is is fantastic the harmonica playing uh is so lyrical yeah you mentioned the uh tambourine man and that's great too but uh i was just so moved by that 
by that North Country um, coming in the encore. just made me sad that he doesn't do acoustic stuff like that really yeah. after a certain period that it because it, it, I really because of the shows that we've talked about so far there's usually an acoustic section and those often end up being my favorite parts of the show and uh, you know like in 97 he was doing a lot of um, traditional songs in that segment which is great to hear here he's doing a lot of his 60s material right but like like you said Ian it really does you wouldn't think that him just going back to the acoustic thing would sound as fresh as it does, but I think that when he is able to sing a little bit softer, he's able to do a wider array of vocal interpretations that really hit home and make the songs feel fresh and powerful. And even a song like as classic and as uh, you know, sort of baked into the catalog as "Girl from the North Country," it. it found a way to bring it all back home if you will <laughs> there you are again <laughs> so we need to put in a little like bell every time you make that reference you know i want to do the bring... uh, slide whistle sound <laughs> <laughs> that was deliberate i was deliberately you were just I, working your way up to that that's my bit my bit is to work in bringing it all back home at some point uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, the acoustic songs, I think, are just so beautiful in this concert.
Yeah, and, and what's extraordinary beyond that also is just the way that he's able to take such short songs, you know, from the recorded versions and just stretch them, just stretch them endlessly. This 95 version of the band isn't quite as, you know, third eye open, just off the map kind of jammy as the 94 incarnation was. But the uh, <laughs> the the acoustic stuff, like North Country is like eight, almost nine minutes long here. And that's like a, what, three minute song on the original version, right? Like tops can't be more than three and a half. Um, and uh, and so I, I think part of that, and he was also doing a ton of um, It Ain't Me Babe at the end of these shows in 94 and 95 that he does similarly. Uh, he's just able to really kind of slow it down and just live in the song and and luxuriate in it and um it's a really thoughtful and and striking kind of treatment thinking about it also yeah i just i don't do you know do either of you know when he stopped doing this acoustic kind of thing because i don't think that was there in the 2004 show that we talked about right uh but it Uh, obviously was there in 92 and 97 and it's here today i could be wrong on this i believe i've i read that it was like i think the last time he had an acoustic guitar on stage was like oh seven okay Around there, and you know, and that's also coinciding with him just not playing guitar. Playing guitar, yeah, moving to the piano. Yeah, so the acoustic. Uh, I mean, when I saw him in like '99, he was still doing acoustic stuff, and right. it was great. This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your titles, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. Bob, when you get back on the road this month, or this year rather, Tony says apparently you're going back on the road end of March, so we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. When you get back on the road for the next leg of the Rough and Rowdy Tour, bring the, bring the acoustic back out. We'd love to hear, <laughs> we'd love to hear you strum on, um, you know, uh, yeah. Dark Eyes. <laughs> Just play Dark Eyes again. Why not? I'm, I'm glad you said that, Ian, because if you didn't say that, what, he might not do it. But now That's he right. will. Now he probably will. <laughs> Well, we've got a direct line to Jeff Rosen through our uh, through our through our uh, third co-host here, so we're you know oh, yeah. just a hop, right. skip, and a jump away from the man's ear. He's just dying to get input from me. Like, yeah, <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, hey, tell Bob that we want some acoustic songs. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, like, oh, yes, 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 sir, yes, sir. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get right on that. Uh, I want to point out the Highway sixty one here. When you said like, oh, I, like it's a song that you think you're sick of, and you realize it's like, wait a minute, I'm not. Uh, it's this song is so funny every time like this for some reason listening to it again I was just noticing like just how funny the lyrics are it's it's so ridiculous I love That's it right. <laughs> in a weird way it gets funnier with age because when he's doing it as a young man it's like everything he says is like a, a, a gag and has like some kind of a 
that snide little twist to it and you expect nothing less but when he's an old guy doing it it's kind of um feels like more vaudevillian or something it's like it's like groucho marx it, it, it has something of a an old comedy act that still kills he's a comedian i gotta say too you know we were talking about jerry earlier we got a shout out which is not one of my favorite grateful dead songs by a mile uh but alabama getaway yes <laughs> funny that he covers this song of all like garcia hunter you know you know and he's done like friend of the devil before uh so you know he's he's done more traditional uh you know favorites from the grateful dead but you know alabama getaway this is like 80s dead uh working in like the chuck berry mode which is like not my favorite mode for the dead um but i like this version well enough it does it did remind me though that Silvio is such a Grateful Dead sounding song. Yeah. And yeah, you know, obviously he wrote it with Robert Hunter. Um and that Sil- like the Sil- cuz we get a lot of Silvios here. I mean Silvio's our theme song. That's why. That's right. Uh but I love this Silvio. Oh, it's this so is like good. one of the stronger Silvios I've heard. I I haven't heard a bad Silvio, I think in all of the like the listening. It, you know, some of them are a little more intense, a little more rocking than others. And um, this one I think is particularly kind of dead influence, which I feel like might have been a conscious decision paired with the Alabama Getaway following the Not Fade Away cover from Patty. Um I think he was kind of trying to gesture there. But uh yeah, I mean this one is just like fucking fire once again and another eight minutes like eight minutes of sylvia i just love it oh well it's like you have you have watchtower in the third slot which is very stock and then you have sylvia i feel like that's usually like in the fifth or sixth slot which is yep. where it is yep um there may be a point in our journey here where we're gonna hate hearing sylvio again or we're gonna i mean i thought i'd already be sick of all along the watchtower uh and i have to say like watchtower and uh uh, Rainy Day Women are two songs that I'm inclined to skip, like automatically without even listening to them once. Yeah, but this watch, this is a good watchtower. Good watchtower. And I think to me the key, the key to that is the fact that it is the third slot here. It's just like. At the beginning of the show, while you're still getting worked up and, and the band is still finding their footing, instead of leading up to it all throughout the fucking night and just knowing, oh, here we go, it's the encore, it's going to be the last song, as great as it was in that slot, like in the 2004 show we talked about last time, here, and they kind of kick the pace up a little bit, it's like a half step faster uh, than they usually play it, 
Uh, that is, I mean, that's, it's not one of my favorite moments on the show, but it's absolutely a positive as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, the dueling guitars, I think, in this particular version between John J.J. Jackson and Bucky, uh, and the fact that they've got this harder kind of serrated electric guitar from J.J., and Bucky is doing like soloing on a slide guitar in All Along the Watch. It's just like a fucking mind-blowing kind of mix and, and melding of different styles that you don't really get from anyone uh, as, as far as I'm aware of. Um, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful version of Watchtower. songs that you don't think you're going to want to hear again when they slay you that is a sign that a show is really good and there's some other songs on the first disc of this sh- of this show that i think we're going to get to in some other segments because there's some other really good highlights here but yes. uh, we're, like maybe in our budokan segment we'll get to them but like what about the bad is there anything that you guys would single out like this, we're in the oh mercy section here oh mercy. oh mercy oh mercy i've got a couple stretches here got a couple like you know I'm, I'm picking nits a little bit but i'm curious if there's was anything that jumped out to you guys that you didn't like yeah i i mean i also had to sort of find something to talk about um uh, but i do actually think that it's valid the 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 joker man here which i think is a fantastic version uh for like 66 percent, like the first two-thirds of it is fire when bob is singing basically but they kind of just like sort of peter out and the song just kind of like circles down the drain towards the end uh they the the band seems to be like stepping towards some sort of big you know fireworks guitar solo or something and they just never kind of achieve takeoff um i don't know compared to some of the the joker men the, some of the joker men from 1994 um where they really are just firing on all cylinders like that one that we talked about from the sendai show um, uh, you know, this time last year, this one is just like, it, you know, I'm always happy to hear Joker Man, but it doesn't, it doesn't really like kill me the way that I know that it could. I think that uh, this version and also the Watchtower and uh, the uh, 
the Silvio, like they they are fiery, but they're not so uh, hot. Like they they're they're a bit cooler. And when I said the band sounds cool, I meant uh, like figuratively, but also they just have kind of a um, a chiller, like toned down. I don't know. They sound kind of relaxed, despite getting pretty uh, into it. There's definitely some real like fireworks, but he's not at eleven. See, that echoes comments that I read in that book I mentioned earlier, One More Night by Andrew. Is it Mur? M U I R. Mir, yeah. Mir, who wrote about the Neverending Tour each year and echoing somewhat what you were just saying, Evan, where in his view, he feels like Dylan was sort of worn out at the end of the year and that he doesn't have the same energy that he had earlier in 95, which really makes me want to explore more of 95. Because, again, I think that sounds pretty great to me, but I would say I have heard earlier 95 shows that maybe do pick it up a little bit more than this one. Um, I'm going to continue... A uh, a riff that I started on last episode, and I don't know. I might be barking up the wrong tree. This might be something where, again, I'm just finding something to complain about. But I feel like blonde on blonde songs. I don't like as much being performed Uh-oh. live at this time. So mm. most likely you'll go your way, and I'll go mine. I'll just say, I, I'm not saying I don't like it, but if I'm picking nits, like that wasn't my favorite. Wow. From the show. That's one where I thought that cooler feel actually served this one. Um, do you agree, Ian? Yes. That, that is, I, I was going to wait, but that is my like number one with a bullet moment from this entire show. Really? I kind of agree, yeah. Really? That's your number one moment? Absolutely. he sounds so like casual he sounds really just um relaxed in a good way like it's not the kind of thing where you're like i wish he was more energetic it feels like he's kind of um just cruising in this really um confident manner um all right well see now i'm feeling like i have overreached because i'm not fully committed to this argument well okay you just don't like rainy day women (laughs) well i will okay i will say yeah rainy day women is by far the the track I care about the least in this yes. show. And, and that is, I mean, that's a song that on Blonde on Blonde, I usually skip it. I go right to Pledging My Time. But um, it's just such a corny song in a live setting. You know, you just picture like the worst people in the audience 
getting excited to hear right. that song. <laughs> and yeah. it, it just adds a, like a layer to it where, I mean, I feel like there are some nuances to that song in the r- original recorded version that just get lost live. It just becomes like this, you know, druggy, you know, boogie rock type song live. And I just don't get yeah, remember it. Remember the 60s. Yeah. Um, but I... I want to be gentle with this most likely thing because I'm I don't because I do like to perform I really like like the guitars on that song yeah uh, the guitar like interplay is really good I am though a little surprised that you both think it's like the best because listen to me he's so cool on it yeah it's I mean it's good but like it's the best song in the set really like, yeah. I, I I would not have predicted that like at all it wouldn't even be like in my top ten I'm glad you feel this way yeah, I I was kind of like. I was worried that I was going to be out on a limb yeah, on no. this, and that you and Steven were going to be ganging up on me for for digging this no, so that, much. I noticed that, like, what, when I was just driving around and listening to it, I was just like, because I think it's because there's so many versions of this that, like, and even recently, like, he's been playing on the uh, the, um, the the recent tour for yeah. Rough and Rowdy, and this one kind of squares the circle. I feel like it kind of is a nice balance that um, it's not like the original super snappy version. And it's not that languid, lackadaisical thing. It's just kind of a, a good, happy medium. And um, I really like the way that it comes across. And I think Winston Watson yes. also, this is what I mean, I think when I meant to say that the band sounds modern, is that's something that Winston Watson brings to the table, is um, he has kind of a, his style doesn't feel... Um, doesn't feel antiquated it feels like just very contemporary and kind of like the uh, uh, a new standard style um i mean i think it sounds like dated for that reason like i like winston watson <laughs> but it, his drums sound very 90s yes. in a way that yeah. like that would comfort comes in i don't think he sounds as 90s as uh like that's this true. Era of the band does. But so, you of all people not liking that? That's crazy. Well, I'm not saying I don't like it. I, I dated is not a is not a uh, a criticism. A pejorative. You know, I'm not criticizing. I'm I'm just saying it sounds very 90s, and I like 90s sounding drums, obviously. But I think that like when Kemper comes in and Roselli, like they, I don't know. Like I can listen to those and. They don't sound like late 90s, early 2000s. It just sounds like live Bob Dylan. I mean, look. I think this is a good version. I just feel like this is like not the highlight of the set, though, for me. To me, this is sort of like we're cruising and we're getting to the highlight. Like, I can't even... I just don't feel like, from like an emotional standpoint, that this song even compares to like the acoustic stuff and like things that happen in the second set. Right. Like, you, like you're knocking Joker Man. I think the Joker Man is like definitely better than this Most Likely You'll Go Your Way. All which right. Again, I mean, it's good. But man, number one, like I don't know that that I'm, I'm that confounds this me. Is, this is why you don't understand the three star system. This is it right here. Because, oh, I understand it. I understand no, it. It's because the I think the reason I, I don't mean to speak all over this for you, Ian, but I correct me if I'm wrong. That sometimes, like the greatest thing in this case, something you might give three stars. Let's say it's not because it's the most emotionally uh, charged. But it's because it's just um, it's just right. It's just like the right thing. It's great to see him do something casually. Sometimes that's the most satisfying thing. Um, 
at least to well, me. That, well, that's a very over-intellectualized approach to listening to music. Because, like, who says that, like, well, the thing that moves me the most isn't my favorite. I mean, that does Because like, it's that's moving like the, sometimes to see something done without, like, to see him relaxed. Sometimes that's moving in its own way. Like, the context, I think, with, with an artist like Dylan, I've kind of come to feel more like that is part of the appreciation that i get like the part of the experience is just about pure context even beyond just like the the music as music it's like his choices are the thing that become just as interesting as and just as moving at times as the song but like the choices aren't that interesting there you know like i understand if you're gonna talk about like wow, this is sort of like a bold reinvention or he's doing something radically different with the song. And But he's not doing that here. You know, Sometimes it's, like it's a, beautiful it's just like a, to watch a, a horse, a beautiful stallion just walking through a, a field. You know? I, I will push back on that. I think this is a pretty radical reinterpretation of this song. And because uh, I went back and, you know, A-beat it with the, the Blonde on Blonde version. And like, it's uh, that's this is not one of my favorite songs from that record. Um, and uh, it almost trends a little bit more towards, you know, rainy day women, like novelty kind of sound uh, on on the album than like the really, you know, enormous heavy hitters like Joanna um, or I Want You or something like that. Um, and this version is like, it's a totally different, to me, it sounds like a totally different song, basically. There's this whole new like guitar that's just absolutely grooving guitar riff that is completely invented and completely new. And these lyrics are just kind of grafted onto it. Um, and Winston, I think... Yes, absolutely. This is a very mid '90s sounding drum uh, sound at the time, but the way he's punctuating this song at, at the end of each of these verses with these just enormous like tom thumps. Just like Tom Thumbs Blues. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man, maybe that's the bootleg title. Um, he's just adding the exact right kind of tone to this. Uh, and, and the way they're able yeah. to kind of, um, Bob, is, it, it's not the f- most fiery kind of one on the, um, on the set by any means. But to me, I, this is a really emotional kind of reaction here because th- for me, because this is exactly what I want out of a never-ending tour show and a never-ending mm-hmm. performance is just a song that I had completely forgotten about that I just like, you know, I listened to it a million times and I know it and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a good Bob Dylan song, but it's not, you know, it's not something that's uh, sticking with me through my life. And then all of a sudden I listen to this version from 30 fucking years later and it sounds like a totally different song and it doesn't sound <laughs> and, anything like the way he's performing it today. Ago, and 30 years ago, exactly. And it's just like, it's like a bolt of lightning and like all of a sudden it's like, Holy shit! I'm seeing a whole new world open up just before my eyes. You know, I it, it uh, uh, I, I'm not gonna castigate anyone for not having that same reaction, but for me, like this of all the moments in this this set, which I came to for Dark Eyes, and which I totally agree, the acoustic set is you know an absolute standout. This was the one that was just like, holy shit! This is this is an all timer for me, and it was just you know I can't really explain why. It just it something clicked in my brain, and I just I can't stop listening to this song.
I, I was gonna say this most likely it did remind me a bit of the Stones, which is a band that Ian called a pub rock band in our newsletter. Jokingly, jokingly, but it does kind of have a, a Stonesy feel, which I liked. I mean, is this your Budokan choice then? Yes, for me it is. Um, for yeah, for I mean, you, I Evan, guess, I guess so because there's not that many other uh, that feel. Yeah, I think that it is a worthy one to point out as a kind of specific novel version of the song. The 90s chiller slight jam version of Most Likely You Go Your Way and I'll Go Mine. What I put down for this was was The Drifter's Escape at the at the top, which mm. uh, seems less budokan because we talked about uh, the May 9th, 1992 show, which also has a Drifter's Escape, and that's like totally unrecognizable and this version is similar to that so it it didn't seem quite as radical to me but it's just interesting that this uh uh sort of jaunty acoustic song from john wesley harding was reinvented in the jj the blues assassin jackson blues assassin in his era as like this like metalish Wait, is, is, song. is J.J. Jackson also the Blues Assassin now? Because that was Stu Kimball's nickname last time. Oh, was it? Oh, oh shoot, you're right. <laughs> you got to oh, keep I... you got to keep the nickname straight, they're both, Stephen. They're part of a, an, a an order, a secret order, a lineage of Blues, blues Assassins. assassins. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many guys in wide brim hats uh, and, and, and dusters and Bob Dylan's <laughs> dusters you know, lineage of band members. It, it's hard to. You know, but you're right. I'm sorry. He's not the Blues Assassin. He's uh, we'll have to figure out something else. No, his nickname JJ. is Jay. He's it's right there. It's John JJ Jackson. That's, That's true. An easy one. <laughs> for, uh, for 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 jumping jams. John JJ Bluesman. But jumping uh, Jack Flash Johnson. Jackson. That was no. <laughs> but but the Drifters Escape. It was a. Uh, it just reminded me of that '92 show, which I love so much. The uh, and just like the riffage that he brought. Uh, it's almost to this a era of the band. Drifter's Escape is a little bit of a boring song to me. It always is. I I think the way that he's able to to reinvent it because that one also was a candidate for for Budokan moment on uh, on my list here. I, I think coming after the '92 version, which was such a just insane version of that song, like it it almost kind of deadens the impact of this one. Like if I hadn't heard that so recently, this would totally jump, seemed even more extraordinary. Um, but just this is, coming this, from that one, which is just like way out there. If I can continue the horse analogy here, that was like a, <laughs> l- like a feral horse. And this horse, it's like it's been broken. You got the saddle on it. And maybe it's a little high spirited, but it's not the feral horse of 92. Yes. It's a broken down horse a little bit. Um, another Tears song of I Rage. Thought, I was just going to say, I was just about to say Tears of Rage mm-hmm. is another one that I think you could put in here beautiful version just the fact love- that he's doing it too it's like kind of a atypical choice you know yeah
I, yeah. I like I like Tears of Rage. Um, it's one that gets lost in the shuffle, uh, potentially on the basement tapes. Um, I feel like Tears of Rage is one of the signature songs from the basement tapes. Like it, uh, it, when you think about that, it's it's like one of the three or four like it, it is one that he hasn't played a ton but to me it's and maybe it's the fact that it's more associated with the band than bob that's what in, I for mean. some people yeah um, I, I i think of it as more of a band song because they yeah. they played it on music from big pink and uh just uh you know the band is so prominent on there. that's that's one of those ones where i kind of i think the song loses some of its shine because of association with the band for me i don't like really care for their them singing it it feels tedious well we'll just let that lie there we'll let that we don't we don't we don't need to we don't need to get like do a two hours uh, i'm gonna let you two do your own your own cage match episode on the band i'm gonna be the bigger man and just walk away from that you, it. it was bait, you, you know it was a <laughs> trap exactly it's like one of those things like where you spit in my face but then you're like well it was an accident i was just talking and spit yeah. came out like it wasn't deliberate and it's like not quite clear if you intentionally did it or not and i'm just gonna let it go because i don't want to cause a scene very gracious um, of you Stephen. uh i think this is another great candidate for budokan moment and i think it's particularly well suited for that because the basement tape songs originated obviously it's just demos you know that bob wasn't even intending to become bob dylan songs in most cases um, and they're so scratchy and spare at times uh, that they make for prime candidates for um, reinvention, you know, at a moment like this. The crash on the levee also um, uh, that isn't in this show is, uh, you know, in, in that same kind of, um, uh, you know, same kind of lane, I would say, uh, that he was playing around this time as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a great reinvention and uh, extension of a song that uh, was what three or, again three or four minutes on the recorded version. Yeah. This, is, this is eight minutes here. No, I, I think it's cool. You know, the song, of course, co-written by Richard Manuel, who sings on the uh, ham-fisted uh, band version. <laughs> but I think most people would say, "Oh, Richard Manuel, like one of the greatest singers of the rock era." Watchtower. We've already said. There must be somewhere out of here. Yeah, we have a watchtower. Have we, we not had a watchtower? Watch we, have we been blanked yet? I think we've on only watch had There watch was one, one of the first <laughs> ones. The, I think the first one, the 97 show, didn't have a watchtower, but it was there in 92, it was there in 2004, and here it is again yeah. in 95. Have we had Rainy Day Women every show? Ooh, I think we've had... I don't. I think we missed at least one, but I think it has also mostly been there. Yeah, well, I think we're we're rapidly developing a little kind of like canon of never-ending stories type songs, which includes some predictable ones, Watchtower and Rainy Day Women. But there's some also like Drifter's Escape has made multiple appearances. Uh, right. Um, Silvio has made multiple appearances at this point. Um, uh, Senor, which I think this is the first official appearance, but it was on that other '97 show that we talked about initially. Is, Have we had? I we've had like includes... multiple. Yeah, we've had multiple under the red skies, haven't we? Yeah, or, multiple, mm, or we've not. talked about under the red. We, the cats in the well is what you're thinking. Cats in it's right. <laughs> multiple <laughs> cats in the well. Cats in the well. Right, right, right. I, I saw somebody commenting saying that like, oh, cats in the well is like one of my favorite. Somebody's like list in the Discord. I was like beside myself. They're they're. It was like their top 25 Bob Dylan songs. 
And it, 25 was Cats in the Well. And Honestly, was Cats Hurricane. in the Well. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I, I can't agree Hurricane, but Cats in the Well could is rocketing up the charts for me in terms of personal Bob favorites. Rocketing up the well. I mean, you know, we've proven in this episode that there's a wide range of Bob Dylan opinions. Things that you think <laughs> might just be totally obvious are, like, hmm. not obvious to someone else. So that's... That's why he's so fascinating to talk about. There That's is, right. There's not a ton of, you know, sort of no-brainer classics. You know, we we all have our opinions on on certain things, so that's great. Um, was there any good Bob talk? There's uh, a little good Bob talk here uh, when he after Tears of Rage, actually, perfect segue. Uh, he he says. Might seem a little sluggish tonight. Didn't sleep last night. I was too excited about playing in New York. And I think that is a good, that is, it's a very cute statement from Bob. And I think that is a good thing to touch on also because this is a Beacon Theater show, right? And it's like, the Beacon is maybe like, the signature venue of the the Neverending Tour, or certainly one of them. I've seen him there multiple times, as have you, Evan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and he always seems to try to get back to the Beacon around this time of year. You know, this time of year is in the show, like late November, early December. Uh, you know, didn't make it this past year, unfortunately, but fingers crossed for this year. Um, I do think that there is, like, just think about venues, like that doesn't always play a major role in, you know, making a show special or, or giving Bob any extra juice. But I think in this case, something about that was, was definitely there for him because it's just such a perfect kind of spot for him to be uh, inhabiting and revisiting his legacy at this moment in time. And that is a great time to be in New York uh, before Christmas, early December. Yeah, post-Thanksgiving, before yeah. Christmas. Yeah, classic New York time. time. The most wonderful time. Bootleg titles. This is something. Have we done this on the show yet? We haven't. No, no. this will be our first opportunity. But thank you to, I forget who mentioned this, but uh, thank you for holding us accountable for failing to include such an obviously brilliant segment in this show. <laughs> what What would be the best fake Bob Dylan bootleg title a la the beautiful bootleg community who had such a great penchant for coming up with just the snappiest titles for these bootlegs. Uh, do 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 we all have candidates here? Yeah, I do. Okay. What do you got? Okay, so I'm cross-referencing here a little bit another artist in the never-ending stories, Jokerman universe. Yes. Mine is Call Me Beacon Blues. Call Me Beacon Blues. <laughs> Nice. Uh, that's that's perfect. If only if he had had if he had like had Baby Blue in here on yeah, the set list, that's... I think that would have that would have really put it over put it over the top. But that's still a beautiful collision of all of our interests here. What about you guys? Uh, I've got so I'm I'm doing my best to inhabit the mindset of someone who would have taped this and put it out. Uh, which again, we are eternally grateful to everyone out there who's ever done this. Uh, but you know, uh, <laughs> they have interesting, interesting brains in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if I were, if I were the taper here and I was looking at, you know, what are some special songs here and what's an interesting way to combine them into just a beautiful portmanteau, mm-hmm. I'm going with dark eyes, crying, tears of rage. Oh, that's, 
that's hot. That's spicy. Um, I like I, it. I, I think that's very good. Um, I'll say that's that feels true and authentic. And I, I aspired to do something similar, which is just a sort of different style of guy who would uh, do uh, the taping and naming. And um, so I, I think it would be maybe perhaps something like Patty Day Women numbers 12 and 35. <laughs> or, or Patty Day Women? Or, or Patty, you've been on my mind. Oh, oh Patty Smith. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, Patty, you've been on my mind. That's that's also very good. Or or some the other way that we could spin this is just like, it, just like dark eyes in New York. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It's just, yeah. just, I was gonna say like dark eyes behind the shades. That's yeah. good. Something yeah. like that, and like a like a like a two eighty by two eighty resolution picture of Bob making like just an awful face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or maybe like Christmas time in New York about that yeah. playing up the yeah. this, that's this the other one here. where it's just oh. like you know barely r- related to the music Mr. Santa- or like Mr. Tambourine Man and Mr. uh and and Santa and Claus and Mr. Tambourine Joker Man Joker Man Joker Man and Tambourine Man New York I kind of I got to say I think I like Patty you've been on my mind the most cuz it's the dumbest and it, it's actually the it's smartest. Our, well, it's it, it, it's the smartest, dumbest one, you know, because yeah. we're all trying to we're all trying to come up with the dumbest one that we can come up with, and uh, yeah, yeah, that might be the smartest. Because <laughs> Patty, oh, uh, okay. How about this one? How about New York getaway? Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, we'll have to throw up the three <laughs> best ones and have people vote on yeah. like which which one works the what best. I, and if and then what? <laughs> And then what? I don't know. Then, someone, well, gets, how about, okay. someone gets a, a five dollars Starbucks gift card from the uh, Neverending Stories uh, Patreon. Cut. We can whoever, make the whoever cover. wins. We can we can actually do a cover of it. Like uh, I'll do it on on the computer. I'll make it real reality. Perfect. Uh, well, a lot of a lot of candidates out there to choose from. Um, I think have we covered everything save for the early Roman king here? Do we have any other kind of uh, uh, statements to to make about any other songs before we get to uh, the champion of the show? I think ERK. I think it's ERK time. And we're out. All right. Uh, well, I've got, I mean, I will go first just because I know I've been singing his praises on this show all along and I haven't uh, had the chance to uh, really dive into it, but that was another reason that I wanted to pick this show. It's Winston for me. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's just got to be him. Right from, right from, there's this moment on Senor, like, uh, like 30 seconds in or something, um, when, like, it's in between uh, the, the bar of one mel- melody ending and then another one uh, resuming, and he just, he taps a triangle. <laughs> And it's just yes. like, that is, that is the Winston Watson, like, thumbprint signature. Like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, there he is. That's it. And there's there's a couple different moments of that uh, throughout um, where he just, uh, it, again, it's the way that he's able to just punctuate the music for me is so is so perfect. And that little, that little ding, I think he does it again in Tears of Rage, is so satisfying to me. Um, cause it, uh, that's, that's what this stuff is all about. It's just like, 
what was the energy that this particular person was bringing to this band at this time? And uh, and you can't beat that, as far as I'm concerned. Seconded. Is he yours? Is it like are you going? Yeah, with, we got uh, we got to go to the mat for Winston because he's uh, he's important. even though even though your favorite artist Evan, Mr. Van Morrison, notoriously shit talked Winston in earshot of Winston to Bob and presumably potentially led to Bob sending him on his way out of the band. Oh, I didn't. None know of that. my business. I don't know that story. Yeah, that's. Uh, I forget where I read that. I'm sure, honestly, probably on Ray's <laughs> on Ray's site. But uh, we can uh, we can look it up uh, in the uh. details. But uh, Van Morrison, not a fan. What oh, Van Morrison does when he's not singing is none of my concern. I just don't have. <laughs> it's not for me. I could see Winston not being in Van Morrison's wheelhouse. I, yeah, I, I, that, that that opinion doesn't shock me. Um, Van Morrison's wheelhouse. Imagine being in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our next show, by the way. That's our next podcast, Van Morrison's Wheelhouse. Um, so my MVP or my ERK, I should say, is because without this person, we wouldn't. I don't think we would have picked this show. Hmm. So I think it's got to be Patty Smith is sure. the ERK of the show, and I love her performance on Dark Eyes. I think it's a beautiful uh, version, and just the way she messes with Bob. When you watch the video of this performance, you can see how delighted Bob is by Patti Smith. They have a real great moment on stage, like where they're clearly being affectionate, and it's just a beautiful moment. So, I gotta give it to Patty. If I'm gonna go with a co-ERK, mm. I'm gonna get a little specific here. I'm gonna say Bob Dylan's harmonica playing, mm. uh, because that is the thing that uh, was consistently making me the happiest listening to this show I, I i just love i mean bob just playing harmonica anyway is very powerful to me and i i feel like he had a real renaissance this year from like the 95 shows that i've that i've heard uh and uh so yeah i so patty and then i'm gonna give bob's harp a little bit of like a mini erk like if there's an erk for an inanimate object i'm gonna give it to bob's harp Early Roman show. prince goes to <laughs> the harp. <laughs> yes, the crown, the, like, a, like a chunk of the crown on the king's head. We'll, get, we'll, we'll place on top of Bob's harp. Well, Patty's the early Roman queen, I think, by default. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, yeah, if we're going to be gender specific here, you know, she could be the queen of yeah, the this show. The senior is really good. I've been listening to uh, the, like the, you know, the desperate yelp of senior that is what makes the song so great. So good. He does a good. Sinya! Hmm. Sinya! One of the best. That song, I'm telling you, man, like, that is rising in my Bob Dylan oh, song Senior power has, rankings. It's crazy how far it rose from the first time we ever talked about it. You I remember, remember we in, were both negative on it in the oh initial my God. street we level like, one. Oh, what a slog. And now it's like, you know, we've been through, we've lived more life and we've realized that it is a song about. Uh, about making it through the difficulty of, of, of recording a podcast. And it's about being so bogged down in a magnetic field, whatever that fucking means. I want to believe, too, that that is another Jerry hat tip because that's a song that I think he dug from the trash heap and played with the Jerry Garcia band. And right. The Jerry Garcia band version of Senior is it's incredible. And I, I feel like Bob obviously heard that, and I, I, I wonder. I, I feel like that influenced him in playing it himself, and 
uh, really, it's like he had to hear, I mean, he once said of Jerry Garcia that like, I listen to Jerry and he tells me how to play the songs. Right. You know, like I, I don't really know how to play them until I hear Jerry play them. And I feel like that's a, maybe the best example of that. We should close now with the most controversial part of the episode, which <laughs> is the uh, star ratings. So what, what, what are the star ratings we're given to this show? I'll make it easy. I wouldn't need parentheses even if they were allowed. It's three for me. This is like, this is exactly what I want. You know, uh, it's, uh, hits all the quadrants like I was saying. I don't think there really is a down moment all the way throughout. Some of the lowlights for certain members of the program are actually highlights for me. It's, uh, you know, this is, this is all, all, all that I could ask for and more from Bob Dylan. Three stars. No question. Evan? Two. I'm going two as well. All right. I don't think we've had a unanimous three-star show so far, have we? 92 was, wasn't it? Was 90, oh, 92 was three stars, mm-hmm. that's right. But we didn't actually talk about it on the episode. So. Yeah, I don't think, I think we said that off air, but I think we no, all we said, said that We three gave star. that three stars at the beginning of the third episode. So there you go. We're right. still working our way there. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're still on the road, headed for another joint. I think yeah. I, I, that's becoming yeah. my bringing that's it all back home. Your, like war horse. <laughs> I don't know what mine is. Yeah, you got to You got to come up with something just you know appropriately stupid for yourself. Bragging, bragging. Yeah, <laughs> you're bragging with your takes uh, here on Never Ending Stories. Uh, tune in next time, folks, and tune in to our first bonus episode, which you'll find out about in just a few days featuring a mystery artist that we all love covering dark eyes it's a real humdinger of a show until next time don't you dare miss it don't you dare miss it don't you dare miss it senor senor can you tell me where we're heading Lincoln County Like I've been down this road before Is there any truth in that, senor? Senor Senor Do you know where she's hiding? How long? How long must I keep my eyes glued to the door? Will there be any comfort there, Senor? Is that wicked wind still blowing on that upper deck? Is that iron cross still hanging down from around? Is that marching band still playing in that vacant lot? Where she held me in her arms one time and said, forget me. I can see that painted wagon Smell the tear of the dragon 
can't stand the suspense anymore Can you tell me who to contact here?
Senhor Let's disconnect these cables Overturn these tables This place don't make sense 